0: So we're wrapping up Hebrews today. Now, next week, uh, Josh is going to take us through some of the highlights that we've talked about and get into a little bit deeper discussion on some things. And he'll introduce that at the end of class. Um, So if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to um, put the topping on our cake, so to speak. Um, Let let me just say that uh, from a uh, study, from from a teacher standpoint, from a study standpoint, this is kind of melancholy for me because for four months I've uh, lived this and um, the advantage of teaching is uh, not that you get it to get up, but the advantage is that I am so steeped in this stuff that it, uh, it just flows, it flows out and it's, it's, a, it's just a great, great feeling to be in the Word in that particular, um, in, in that vein. If you ever have an opportunity to teach, accept it. Because that's a challenge by the Holy Spirit to say, you can do it. If, say I promise you this. Eric does not ask people that he does not feel are qualified to teach. And when he asks you, you accept it. Because that's the Holy Spirit saying, it's time for you to step up and do this. And you will be a better person for it. So that's the end of my soapbox. Um <clears throat> Hebrews has uh, done a, an amazing job, in my opinion. Uh, every time I teach this or every time I get into it, I'm just amazed at how all this fits and how the story of God uh, starts in Adam. And there's no way to separate any one part of that story. That story is, uh, is, is it's just one story. But if you were to mark the Old Covenant... If you were to mark the Old Covenant, if you go back to Sinai with me in just, just a second, we're going back to chapter 12, uh, starting about the 20, 20th verse, 21st verse. If you go back to Sinai and you think about what we talked about last week where even the animals, if the animals touched the mountain, you had to kill the animals to teach the people what holiness was all about. That is, that presents God in such a light that you don't draw near to that. You draw back from that. But then when you get the, get the picture of Zion, you get the picture of Jesus, it, Hebrews 10 says, you draw near. You draw. It's almost like Jesus makes God user-friendly. Jesus is the point of this whole story. And so let's start in chapter, in, uh, chapter 12, verse 22. <laughs> But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, a city of the living God. You have come to myriads upon myriads of angels in joyful festival assembly, to the church of the prototokos, the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Can I hear an amen? amen? What does that mean? So if you go back to Genesis 4 and there's a song, what is that song? There's a song about the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Have you heard that one? Uh, I wish I had listened to it. For the, okay, it's, it's you listen to the fish anyway? Um, <clears throat> are you a real Christian? If you go back to Genesis four and you look, when Cain and Abel were offering their sacrifices, and um, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God, and Cain's sacrifice was rejected, and Cain was pretty, it said that his countenance fell. His countenance fell, and then they were Cain and Abel were in a field horsing around. We don't know what happened, but but Cain kills Abel, and he's dead, and God. God has a conversation with Cain and says, where's your brother? And that's where he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. But God says to him, the blood of your brother cries out. What does the blood of Abel cry out? Anybody? What? Okay, soften that up a little bit. Justice. 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 justice, it's unjust what happens. The blood of Jesus, if I were to ask you what the blood of Jesus cries out, what does the blood of Jesus cry out? Salve. Salve. Help me there a little bit. more. Grace. 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 That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying the blood of Abel is the blo- a cry for justice, but the blood of Jesus is grace. This whole chapter, that from, from here to the end of the book, and Josh and I were just talking, it, there really doesn't need to be a chapter 13. This is, all, this is all chapter 12. It's all a continuation of thought. It just keeps going. But this whole deal is about law versus grace, and the answer is grace. Sinai to Zion, law, grace. Moses to Jesus, law, grace. It's all law, grace. Let's keep going. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. These are God's own words. If they did not escape, when they refused him, who warned them on earth, who was that? If the Jews did not escape, when God warned them on earth, who warned them on earth? The Mo- Moses, the prophet but br- particularly, He's calling calling us back to Sinai. That's that's his analogy. So he's saying Moses. If if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Who's that? Jesus and Zion. The New American Standard does a good job of this. I don't know if anybody has that. But they use a little H for him when referring to Moses and use a big H when referring to Jesus. I I didn't find any other version that did that. At that time, verse 26, we're going back to Zion, his voice shook the earth. But now, we're going back to Zion, he has promised, once more I will not shake only the earth, but also the heavens. So, being the teacher I am, I go back and look at all the earthquake scenarios and why did he pick Haggai? Why did he pick Haggai? Operating on uh, my own theory about who wrote Hebrews and why it was written, I believe that Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish people who are well-steeped in Judaism. I mean, they are there, but at the same time, they've accepted Christ to a certain degree. But they're being called back into Judaism because that is so it, it would be, you know, and whether it was written to Jerusalem or I, I don't know any of that, but I just know what he's saying is he's saying, I understand the temple is a huge draw. I understand that being a Judea is a huge, a huge draw. And we're asking you to step out on faith that something's going to happen because of Jesus and that there's going to be a new community, a new ecclesia, if you will, a new called out, a new church at this point in time, when this was written, this is, you know, you, we don't even know when that was. But we assume that it was written sometime in the late 60s. Well, there's a war. There's a war going on. Rome is at war with the Jews and Jerusalem. And to prove their point, that ultimately ends by them totally destroying the temple. Now then, we say that casually totally destroying the temple. But I'm going to tell you something. Having been there, that is not an easy task. You could not destroy a temple that took 40,000 men 40 years to build. That's the estimates. You can't destroy that in a week. We could now. The U.S. could drop a bomb on it and just blow it up. That's it. I hate ladybugs, by the way. Do y'all... I mean, I'm just <laughs> t- <clears throat> Every, I I eat my eating soup ladybugs I mean it's just every – <clears throat> but you couldn't you can't destroy that and you know it it brings to mind the conversations when uh, that Jesus has with his apostles that, you know they they get so fired up because Josephus tells us that the first temple by, built by Solomon um, that when you came from Jericho and you topped the, topped the little hill there and you looked and you could see Jerusalem you could see the temple, if you were there the bright of the noonday, that the gold in the temple shone so brightly that it would blind you. It was just resplendent. And you remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem at one point in time and his, his, apostles sa- his disciples said, uh, Look how magnificent. And Jesus said, Don't get too attached. It's not going to be here much longer. It's not going to be here. Remember what he said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? She said, we have a temple. See, the Samaritans were the half-breeds that were left of the Babylonian exile. So when uh, Zerubbabel and all those guys, Nehemiah, came back and started building the temple, they wouldn't let the half-breeds help them. You guys are half-breeds. You stayed. You didn't go. No, we don't want any part. So they built their own temple in Samaria. They had an exact replica of the temple in Samaria. And so when, G- when Jesus meets the woman at the well, she, the ultimate theological discussion there, is she says, um, <clears throat> our fathers tell us that when the tarhar comes, the revealer, quoting Aramaic, when the, when the revealer comes, he's going to reveal to us everything. And that's when Jesus says, he, he says, you're going to worship. Do we worship on this mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem? Jesus said, there's coming a time when you don't want worship you. You'll worship God in spirit and in truth. And by the way, to that Tarhar thing, Jesus looked at her and said, "Ego me, I am," and she was blown away. So, this the temple thing is a big deal, and it's a big deal to understand that they're wanting to stay in Judaism. They don't want the, they don't want the little sect of Christianity to break off into be into something where they're going to get have a Cherim against them and get kicked out of the temple. A cherim is a formal declaration that you can no longer be a part of the temple. You're not. You're not there. Okay. Um, so back to the back to the uh, um, earthquake deals. So the way I understand this is that God says that in the end times. You know, and I'm not going to do the premillennial thing and all that I'm not going to do that thing with you Uh, I'm just going to say that earthquakes are going to happen. Earthquakes happen natural disasters happen, all that happens. Is that a sign from God? Well I don't know but I do know that this is how it's all going to end. Take a look at Haggai chapter 2 Why did I have uh, Kyle read Ezra? It's because Ezra and Haggai are written the exact same time, well close to the same time And Haggai is the first prophet after the Babylonian exile. Um, Verse 3 of Haggai, chapter 2. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How, How do you see it now? Does it seem to you like it's nothing in comparison? But take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, son of Zedek, the high priest. And all your people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. For I am with you, says the Lord. And as for the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake it and all the nations, and they will come, the wealth of the nations, and they will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of the house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. So does that mean God's going to build a physical temple back in Jerusalem, like the people with the red heifers and the plans to build the temple? I I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say that the temple of God lives within you. The temple of God lives within you. And greater things you can do with, with that with that, it, than there being an earthly structure. If you looked at Revelation 16, look at Revelation 16 just for a second. I'm at verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl, and out of the temple came a, lou- a loud voice from the throne saying, Telesti, it is done. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was that quake that the great city split into three parts, the great city of the nation, uh, nations collapsed. Earthquakes are a sign. This is a sign. He goes back to Haggai to say, remember the temple? You guys have to step out of that whole deal because God has made the temple in your hearts. Jeremiah 31. The temple is in your hearts. That's where it is. He's trying to give them courage that they can step out. Let's keep keep going. Maybe it will make more sense in just a second. The words once more indicate the removing of what can't be shaken that is the created things for what cannot be shaken for what cannot be shaken may remain. Since therefore we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, shaken. You see, they can tear down the temple, but you're receiving a kingdom based on the blood of Jesus that can't be shaken. Since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us and I just, I was talking with Josh about this because this this bothers me right here. Uh, let us be kathos. Does anybody know what kathos means? What? Divine. Grace. Kathos. Kathos means grace. So the whole chapter is about grace. And then he comes and he says kathos. And, and Josh says it might be an idiom. I, I looked at all the translations I could look at and Nobody translates it grace, except for the Holman Study Bible, which is my new favorite. Uh-huh. <clears throat> <laughs> I think what he's saying is, this is all about grace. Therefore, since we're receiving the kingdom, we cannot be shaken. Hold on to grace. And so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and all. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, that scares people that God is a consuming fire. He's taking us back to Sinai. But he's saying it is important. It's real. Now then, the last 10 minutes, really, chapter 13, it just merits reading. That's it. I'm not going to do a lot of commenting on it other than to say this. You can't do the things in chapter 13 unless you understand where where we've come from. Unless Jesus is alive in your hearts. When, when Jesus is alive and thriving in people's hearts, you know what happens? Things like the gifts that people offered this morning happen. The things like Amy Cole coming in and said, I need eight Christmas gifts, $100 piece, da-da-da, and that's, that's done. Things like Jerry Rainey said I need a tractor for Kenya. And he walks up and before he can walk back to say amen, he has a check for a tractor for Kenya. That's what that comes out of people understanding and knowing Christ. And here, here's a here's a phrase I caught this morning on the church uh, coming to church in my jeep <clears throat> with the top down and the sky is 75 degrees on December. The... That's incredible. That's incredible. And they're playing "Oh Holy Night" at 7:45 this morning. <clears throat> but there's a phrase in there then he, there's a phrase in there that you Hebrew people are, are going to appreciate. And I, I pray my prayer for you in this class is that this Christmas season, this Advent season, this incarnation, that you will hear some of these phrases and they will take you back to some of the feelings that we thought when we were reading what this writer said. But it said, then he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Isn't that what we're talking about? That's exactly what... When the soul feels its worth based on what Jesus has done for us, then and only then can chapter 13 happen. So let's read 13. <clears throat> Keep on loving each other as brothers. Literally, and you, I crack up every time I see the word Philadelphia, because that, but that's what it says, Philadelphia. Keep on loving each, each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. It seems to me that hospitality is a big deal for Christians who know who they are and whose they are. That's a big deal. Remember those in prison as if they were your fellow prisoners. I've never done anything worth going to prison. I mean, yet. But I'm to entertain them as if they're my fellow prisoners. And those who mistreated you as if you yourselves are suffering. The mar- marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed, koete, should be kept pure. That's just what you do. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral, sexually immoral. What you need to know about sexual immorality is this. There's, I would say, I would venture to say, 90% of, 90% of the time in scripture, I don't have facts on this, but when you see the word sexual, sexually immoral, or you see anything sexual, or anything where, like, like the, uh, like the Matthew five passage where uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, it's it's called the um, um, escape clause, the marital escape clause, if if you Marital infidelity, that's, that's what theologians call it, the marital escape clause. If you see that I- anywhere in there, the word that's translated there is pornea. So for people to say, I, I hate to pick on Bubba, but, uh, but uh, President Clinton would say, I did not have sex with, I'm telling you, anything related to that, porne- por- pornography, Anything related to that is porneia. It's sexual immorality. That's what it is. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Uh, the Greek word for uh, for uh, a female prost- for a male prostitute is porneous, and the uh, the Greek word for a female prostitute is pornay. There's no way to separate it. You can sugarcoat it. You can you can uh, euphemistically use different terms in here. Sexual and immoral. But it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I set forsake you. And I, I just I have to do this. And I, 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 but the actual Greek translation to that is this. I love this. Not not would I desert you, neither not not will I forsake you. I love that. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life, their way of life, and imitate their faith. And as as a young couple, that's that's what Dell and I did when we came to Otter Creek. Uh, you know, I was a youth minister and uh, I left on amicable terms. No. <laughs> and <laughs> and, I, uh, and we just looked around, and we we saw we had, we had such good friends, and we had so many people in this congregation that we could admire. That's why this morning we they were flashing those pictures up on the screen, and you see the one with Doyle and Rennell Gall and Eva Cruthers and Carolyn Maddox, and you just go, oh, my gosh. And i got to teach this today? And I just looked at that. Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever and John would say he he is who is and who was and who is to come the exact same thing do not be carried away by strange teachings of all kinds it's good for your hearts to be strengthened by there's that word again grace not ceremonial foods what's he talking about he's talking about Jewish dietary regulations uh, does anybody know what kosher really is not having a chicken and egg on the same ok ok it's, it's the, the, the best the best way is not having milk and meat not having milk let, let me do this uh, to, to Jews life and death is a huge issue it's huge they have living water and dead water. Does anybody know what living water is? <inaudible> Literally, the word, the Greek word is perge. Not falling from the sky, bubbling up. Bubbling up like a spring, a well. A well is better than a cistern. Well water is living water. A cistern is collected water. It's dead water. Okay? Um, and that's a huge deal. I mean, you, you, that's, that's a huge deal in... Churches of Christ. I mean, there are certain uh, baptistries where uh, there where they are so hung up on the word gay and I don't even know if they know the word gay, but they're hung up on living in dead water. But when you baptize somebody, you will open the drain, turn the faucet on, or it doesn't work. It's not valid. <laughs> where? I'm just telling you, you didn't, you, I, I'm just, I'm just telling you, you grew up in Alabama. I'm just telling you, Are you? well, you go lower Alabama, lower middle Tennessee, you can find a lot of things, baby. All right, anyway. So I was it a, a baptistry, living water. Okay, so now we're back to kosher. Now we're back to kosher. So kosher, you can't have milk and meat on the same, at the same table. Uh, milk is what life. Meat is death. They don't mix. That's why you go when you go to Jerusalem. You stay in the Scott Hotel for four nights because it's the only non-kosher hotel in all of Israel, and they have great desserts. If you go to the, I mean, the the Israeli uh, hotels are. Fabulous they got fabulous food. But when you eat the desserts, it's like sponge cake. that They can't have eggs and they can't... It's like, don't fake me out. Let's just have entrees. It's fine. Or can we go over to the real hotel? Uh, but the whole life and death thing is a big, big deal. How did I get on that? Okay, now... <laughs> Because what he's saying, <laughs> because what he's saying here is don't go back to that ceremonial thing, the di- dietary, don't get hung up on that stuff, which are no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those tabernacle people cannot eat at Eucharist, they can't do it, they're not qualified, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe his body. You think about how complex the whole temple system was. I don't know how they kept up with it. All the stuff they had to do, all the sacrifices, all <laughs> da, da 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 da. And what, is, what, is, what do you have to do to have, to have real church as a Christian? Uh, Two or more bread and wine. That's it. That's as deep as we go. The bread represents Jesus' perfection. The blood and his earthly body, and the blood represents grace. Grace. Randall, is yeah. that
1: life and death, in, in that sacrament that you go back to that whole Jewish thing? Does blood represent life and body broken death?
0: I don't is know. That kosher? I don't know. I don't know the answer there. That—that's that, a. I mean, that'd be a good. that be. That's a, There's another whole. Semester that you could do that. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places of sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside of the camp. Jesus also suffered outside the gate to make his people holy through his own blood. Let us then... He, here's what he's saying. Let us get out of the camp. Let's get, we got to go out beyond the walls. What a great analogy. Bearing, this, bearing the disgrace he bore, even if your parents won't invite you home for Christmas, Hanukkah, you can do Christmas. They can do Hanukkah, you can do Christmas. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that's going to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good with those who share to others. With such sacrifices, uh, God is pleased. Now this next scripture, scripture, I would tell you, when I I think about what he says here, I think about back in Matthew 5 where the the marital escape clause, David Lipscomb said, there has never been a truer passage of scripture uttered. Well, I would say here, obey your leaders and submit to their authority <laughs> submit i I don't think thats I don't think that's right. Trust your leaders and yield to their wisdom and guidance. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Trust them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us. We're sure we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored soon to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, and that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he writes this, I think, just to stick it in the eye of anybody that's ever taught. Brothers, I urge you to bear with me my word of exhortation. God, I've only written you a short little letter. I just wrote it off the top of my cup. I want to give <laughs> I want to give Josh a minute to preview what he's going to do next week, and I, I pray that you all come back and we can work through that.
1: Okay. Well, I'll take an extra minute to, to, to highlight one thing that, that Randall had said, but I really wanted to make sure you see this move. In verse 28 of chapter 12, since we are receiving a kingdom, um, the, the language, therefore, since, it might say this for you, therefore, since this, what you might not see because it's not as clear, uh, the Greek has imperatives that follow this. So it's let us hold on to grace. And then chapter 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. 13, 2, let us not neglect hospitality. Uh, 13, 3, let us remember the prisoners. So when Randall said this chapter division is arbitrary, that's what he's getting at. All of what happens in 13 is following from <coughs> chapter 12. It's not like he gets to the end and is like, Here's a bunch of rules for you. You know, by the way, now that I'm at the end, let me get to the real stuff that you've got to do ethically. But what he's saying is, if you've been following what I've been saying about how these old covenant people uh, acted in faith because of the promises, these old covenant promises, when they stepped out in faith. We have new covenant promises. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, let us walk in faith. And here's what it looks like when you take seriously these new covenant promises, like an unshakable kingdom, like closeness of God what follows from that very organically is that you stop being so attached to earthly wealth. You start sharing with others. You Mm. start practicing brotherly love. Why? Because you have been shown brotherly love by God in flesh. All of chapter 13 flows from what's gone on before. It is not random. Uh, It is just the natural outworking of this new covenant that has been accomplished by our pioneer. So we follow him because of what he's achieved. Uh, So that's that was kind of my passion in this chapter. So I wanted to kind of highlight that a little extra. Um, so next week, I'll do a short review of what we've looked at. I really want y'all to come back because I think this reflection might help solidify some stuff. I'll talk about uh, what stood out the most to me in this for five or six minutes. Randall will do the same. And then what I'd like you to do is to come back uh, prepared to ask some questions and maybe to share. So here are four, four things um, that we'll get to uh, that I would like you to think about if you would. Uh, One question that's kind of the question you should always ask yourself as you're reading scripture, um, what do I learn about God from this? So you might ask, as I'm reading Hebrews, what do I learn about who God is? That's the kind of number one question you should be asking. Whatever scripture you're reading, what do I learn about who God is from this? So if you're looking back over 13 weeks, what has this taught me about the nature of God? A second, which flows from that, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a person of God? studied Hebrews, what am I learning about who God is, and about who I am called to be. Uh, third, what's been most meaningful to you. So it's kind of fun to hear and share. I just did this in my class at the end of the semester, and it's it's fascinating to me, the things that I think are most important. And then I get students saying so many different things, sometimes randomly, sometimes stuff that I didn't ever say, uh, but I not get attributed. <laughs> it's sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it's, it's kind of a neat communal experience as you're, as you're learning uh, what someone over here found you know, meaningful. It, it touches you in a way that sometimes a teacher can't get across. So, what do I learn about who God is? What do I learn about who I'm to be? What's been most meaningful to you? And then, if you have um, some questions about maybe central issues, uh, we'll get to those if we have time. All right, and and any, any translation questions, questions you're going any to Translation take? questions, we'll be. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Or don't. <laughs> right, um, <laughs> Thank, right. Thank you.